gets. Once you start scouting, it's like a disease. It gets in your body. You're infected with it. You're tuned in to the Infectious Scouting Podcast with your hosts, Russell Landy and Rick Saratello. Oh, we're back at it again. Maybe it's another edition of the Infectious Scouting Podcast. I am your host, R.I.C., Rick Saratella. Sounding like it is when it comes to the NFL Draft since 2002. It's what we do. Check us out over at the NFLDraftBible.com. Big, big updates going out on the uh, all-access membership subscription. Make sure you take advantage of our promo VIP Familia, VIP F-A-M-I-L-I-A, and you'll get 20% off, so take advantage of that. This is our 14th episode now of the 2020 Draft Countdown, leading up to Las Vegas. We're going to talk about some of the underclassmen who have declared the All-Star Game invites, which are moving and shaking and cranking away. And then, of course, uh, we'll take a look back at the conference championship matchups, all the action. Uh, that transpired this past weekend in the college football universe. So, uh, talk about risers, sliders, surprises, and hey, uh, make sure you follow Russ at Russ Landy, one of the best follows. If you're an NFL draft Nick, if you want to know the latest buzz, uh, and he gives great insight into just you know some of the things that go on around the league, whether it's front out, front office moves or uh, free agent transactions. So make sure you give him a shout. We welcome him into the show, by the way, right about now. He is Russell Landy. He joins me here on the Sports Management Worldwide Hotline. Make sure you check out sportsmanagementworldwide.com for his football GM and scouting course. Of course, two decades of scouting experience at every level of the NFL, CFL, uh, XFL, college football. He is Russell Landy. Russ, we trust. What's up, brother? What's going on, Big Timer? Oh, man, you know, just getting all pumped up about the NFL PA Bowl, cranking out our invitations, really loving the roster that we've put together. And quite honestly, Russ, I mean, all three games have done a tremendous job here with the All-Star Game process. I'm really looking forward to it. I know we're going to get a chance to link up here soon and, and scout a bunch of players. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. There's going to be some moving. There's going to be some shaking. There's no doubt there's going to be a lot of things going on. And I got to tell you, I think it's the first time in probably five years where <clears throat> the NFLPA can really say, you know what? We are clearly the number two game in terms of players we brought in. Because Whoa. it is amazing the roster that you guys have put together this year. You guys have, in my opinion, surpassed the East-West Shrine game. And not just by a little bit. This, this The roster you guys have put together, it's incredible. And I don't think people realize the job that's been done there in terms of getting some players that I think in the, most of the years it would have been a slam dunk that they were either going to be sitting waiting for the Senior Bowl or going east to go to the East-West Shrine game. I think what you guys have done is incredible. I mean, I'm very excited to see all the talent out there in California in the good weather. That, for coming from you, Russ, and this is a, just a disclaimer, I did not pay Russ to say that, folks. This is genuine, and that is very humbling coming from Russ because I really value your opinion. So um, I feel good about it. It, 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 it has been – fun to see some players that I thought for sure, for certain, would be 
in the senior bowl uh, that we were able to land. And, you know, it's going to be something. And I, I do think, I will say this, I think the East West Shrine is going to have that star appeal, maybe some of the bigger names uh, that go, you know, a little bit higher. But I, I think when you take a look at the depth at each position, and, you know, players one through 100, you could state the case almost every player has a chance to be drafted. And I think that's just really a credit. I mean, huge, huge shout-out to Dane Vandernat and the staff he's put together. I mean, Russ, we essentially had the Oakland Raiders scouting department working for us. And I'll be honest, I mean, I'll hit Dane up about a guy, and then he'll rattle off four or five guys who are even better. I mean, we're that well prepared, and I feel good about the direction it's moving. And uh, just moments ago, December 11th, 20. 19 here, uh, we announced the Yale uh, offensive lineman Dieter. Uh, and, uh, you know, I teased on the episode last week, we might have somebody from South Africa. So here's a guy who comes from South Africa, plays in the Ivy League at Yale. Uh, just about every NFL team comes through that door, and now he lands in Pasadena. I mean, this is what it's all about. Well, there's no question. I mean, it's, it, this is a great opportunity. People, for whatever reason, the Senior Bowl, I know, is sort of the king daddy in terms of that's where the preeminent guys have gone over the years. People don't realize how vital these, these all-star games are, what an opportunity it is for these players, especially at schools like Yale and some of the smaller schools, to go to a game like this and get a chance to perform in front of most of the time, hundreds of NFL scouts. And it's an opportunity to really put a stamp on your college career and give yourself a chance to sort of secure that you're going to be selected in the NFL draft. And and that's why these All-Star games are so important. Yeah, and, you know, a guy like uh, Dieter Iceland from Yale, all of a sudden he goes out and dominates at the NFL PA ball. Well, hey, maybe that gets him an invite to Indianapolis for the scouting combine. But... Uh, you know, we've got exactly. know, the offensive linemen from Canada we talked about last week. And then I saw uh, Ohio posted something about uh, Nathan Rourke, the quarterback, who's number three on the CFL. Another Canadian. Uh, big, you know, Scottenborough. I, 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 I got news for you. I don't think the CFL is going to be able to touch this kid. I think he's, he's going next level. Well, I think, you know, most of the kids, whether it's Canadian or not, most of the kids that get to an NFL PA or senior bowl, they're going to get a chance in the NFL. They all are. So all the Canadian league teams, they just have to sit back and say, okay, what, where is it for us that we're willing to risk a draft pick on a kid because every player picked in the CFL draft has to be a Canadian player. Where are we going to risk a pick on a kid that maybe we'll get, maybe we won't? Because for every player that gets a chance in the NFL that's Canadian that washes out, that for maybe every three or four that will wash out and end up coming to CFL and become stars, there's a Lorenzo Rene Sardif, who was a sixth-round pick in the NFL and now is one of the highest-paid guards in the league and is never going to play in the CFL. So you have to figure out where that risk is, how good do you think that player really can be. But I agree, any player that's Canadian that's getting invited to the NFL PA, the Senior Bowl, and the East-West game, they have a legitimate chance of having an NFL career where they may never get the chance. They may choose to never come up to Canada because they're playing in the NFL or have the chance to play in the NFL. And, you know, I like 
Nathan Rourke's skill set because he he kind of he can be a dual threat guy, but he's a pocket passer first, obviously undersized, but can make all the throws, can bide time in the pocket, can move around back there. I like what he brings to the table. Of course, you know the height department is going to be one area teams are concerned about, but I I kind of feel like you know after the last few drafts. That's kind of gone out the window. You know, you heard John Gruden say at the Senior Bowl last year, he used to have all these protocols about where quarterbacks would fit and all these measurables and different criteria. But all that's out the window. I kind of tend to agree with that kind of feeling. And I'll tell you, the other guy I'm excited about, Brian Lewerke from Michigan State, you know, to have a four-year starter from the Spartans, uh, get a chance to kind of, you know, and I understand he had a disappointing season this past year, but you know what? It's a final opportunity for scouts to kind of get eyes on him and put him out there in a big time platform like that one last time. So Lewerke, uh Nick Tiano from uh, Chattanooga, I think one of the more underrated arms in this quarterback class. And then Jake Luton, the Oregon State quarterback, of course, coming over from the Pac-12. Uh, those have been the announced quarterbacks. I'll tell you one surprise, Russ, that I – maybe not a surprise, but I think we kind of questioned, again, with a disappointing season. We've talked a lot about Shea Patterson. He's been down. He's been up. He's been down. He's been up. <clears throat> yep. And, and he – and I don't know if it's been announced yet, but from my understanding, he's getting the call up to the Senior Bowl. He was initially announced for the East-West Shrine game. I know the Senior Bowl also has Jalen Hurts and Anthony Gordon at the moment. Uh, Jay Patterson, I guess, you know, I can understand the appeal. Like, hey, this was a guy coming into the year. We thought he could be a top 100 quarter, you know, overall selection. Let's let's put him on the Senior Bowl stage and see how he does type of thing. Yeah, and I think I think with with Patterson, I think what it comes down to, at least if I'm a, if I'm a team, and and although Jim Nagy has tons of experience and he's got a great staff, and they go out and they grade the film, they are still going to talk to teams and say, what are, are there any players you guys really want us to bring in? Um, and I think when you look at Patterson, one of the things that you have to look at is if you were to take every senior and four year junior that has graduated eligible quarterback, meaning guys that could potentially go to the senior bowl. If you were to take all of them and put the list together and then say, okay, for every one of these guys, we're going to take the 25 best throws they made this year, or even the 40 Patterson would be right there with the top two or three in the country because he has a freak talent in terms of just pure arm talent. Now, does he do it consistently? No. Is his technique all over the place at times? A hundred percent. Does his game literally change from snap to snap and from game to game is completely inconsistent? Yes, 100%. All of that is true. But when it comes down to pure natural, just take the ball and make the rip throw, I don't know if he's in the top three or top five, but he's definitely in the top ten of the guys you're going to look at. So that's the guy you want to get to the senior ball because you want to get him in front of coaches, in front of scouts, and say, okay, how does he do day-to-day? Does he handle the inconsistency? Does he become better as we work on some little things each day? How does he handle it? How does he handle the mental side? How does he interview? All of those things are important because, as you know, Rick, you've been doing this a long, long time. NFL teams, they don't exist so that they can give jobs to people just for the heck of it. They exist to win football games. And there's only so many humans on the planet who are good enough to help teams in the NFL win games and even fewer that can play quarterback. So when you have a kid like Patterson who's got freak talent, 
that has not consistently done it really through even one game where he's been great from start to finish this year. He's still a guy you got to give that big stage to for the Senior Bowl because he has that pure talent. There just aren't many guys who can do the things he can do, and you want to see what it is. And maybe you figure out when you're there, every team may figure out – this guy, it ain't ever going to happen, and we can cross him off our board. He's not a guy we want to consider until the seventh round. But at least you can make that decision based on seeing him and dealing with him and interviewing him and watching him. So he's the, he's the type of guy you have to have down in Mobile. Yeah, we'll see how the rest of that quarterback class takes out. Senior Bowl the only all-star game allowed to uh, bring underclassmen to the event. So... We'll see, you know, a guy like Jordan Love. Yeah. I'm very excited to see the kid you you mentioned before. Let's do this before we even get to Jordan Love, because we'll we'll save him for the underclassman tracker. I'll let you make your point, Russ. Go ahead. Well, you mentioned the one guy. There's a, there's a, there's a handful of players I'm, I'm really excited to see the NFLPA game in the Senior Bowl. But, but you mentioned one of them, Malwerke from Michigan State. We've talked about, we talked about him in our preseason podcast before the year got started yeah. about this intriguing kid. Because there aren't many guys that get through the Big Ten as four-year starters. They're either so great that they come out early or they're so bad that they're benched after a year or two. So this guy's sort of that anomaly in that he was a good enough quarterback, won enough games, did enough good things. That he kept starting and doing a good job for Michigan State, but not good enough to where people convinced him he should leave school early. I think what this game is going to give him an opportunity to do, and, and, and I'm not trying to pigeonhole the kid, but when you when you look at Milwaukee, you see inconsistency. Um, you see a guy that sometimes looks not great, but good, and other times looks just a little bit off. Um, but you know he's been through a program where they, they, they make you mentally tough at Michigan State. You don't come out of Michigan State not knowing how to handle adversity, not knowing how to handle the stress of being a professional athlete. I think if he goes to the NFLPA game and really steps up and shows his worth, this is a guy who could be locking himself in to a 10 or 12 or 14-year career as that number two guy. Obviously, he's not going to be a backup right away. He's going to almost every rookie quarterback is a third stringer. But I can see this guy when you see the mental toughness he has shown at times, dealing with some of the things he's dealt with in Michigan State. I could see this guy being that perfect guy, carry the clipboard, doesn't need a ton of reps through the week, but he can get come in a game when the starter gets hurt, gets out of a game, start a game or two without killing the team. There's a lot of interesting things to like about Lewerke. I can't wait to see him live because the one thing I have a hard time judging with him um, is really that true arm strength. Um, is he going to be able to make every NFL throw? Because when I watch him at Michigan State, just the way the ball comes out, I, I just don't see it all the time on those far side outs and those deep digs and stuff like that. I'm looking forward to seeing him up close and personal so I can see how does the ball come out? Does it have pace when it leaves his hand? Does the pace maintain throughout the, the throw? Or does it really t- like does it taper off and the ball starts losing zip as it goes downfield? A very intriguing guy. I tell you, two other guys I can't wait to see when I come out to the NFLPA. The Charlie Werner, the tight end out of Georgia. Um, this yeah. to me, you talk about a football player. Um, I'm stunned, in all honesty, that uh, Jim Nagy and those guys haven't brought him down to Mobile. I mean, this is a kid. You guys did a great job getting him. This is a kid. When you watch him come off the ball, even though Georgia had a very disappointing game, and we're going to get to that in a little bit, you can see him come off the ball, and he runs well enough. 
to be a weapon as a, as a, as a receiving tight end. He's not a thin little guy. He's a thickly built kid. There's something about this kid when I watch him run, when I watch him move, that I can see a team saying, you know what, he may not be a high pick, but in that maybe third, but probably fourth or fifth round, we're going to take a shot on this kid because he's a thickly built kid. He moves well. He's got a lot of the traits that are necessary to be successful as a tight end. So he's intriguing. And the other team, we've talked about him before because we talked about Big Ten guys before, but I'm looking forward to seeing Chris Orr um, out there at the NFLPA. And one of the big things I want to see, and, and fans may not know this, you and I know this, because we've been going to these games for what seems like 200 years because we're both old as dirt. Um, is, is in, the, in the All-Star games, it's not just lining up in, in team period and banging heads. You get to see linebackers like Chris Orr, who played primarily inside, you get to see him cover tight ends and running backs in one-on-one drills. And you get to see him blitz in one-on-one drills. I want to see how Chris Orr does in coverage. That, to me, is the big question with him. I think he is no doubt instinctive enough, no doubt smart enough and good enough against the run to be productive between the tackles as an inside linebacker versus the run. But he'll never get on the field if he doesn't prove he can cover. And that, to me, that's the big concern with Chris Orr. I think he can rush the passer. Pretty well for an inside linebacker. I think he'd be very good against the run. I have real questions about can he be a complete linebacker who can cover. This game will give you an opportunity because of what the teams do at these all-star games in the practices to really get a feel for that. And I'm very excited to look at Chris Orr and get a look at him and try to figure him out. No, all very good players. And, you know, I love the diversity and you know we have a lot of power five conference guys we got some international players we got some fcs and a couple of d2 players so uh you know or as a guy him and zach bond i think those two wisconsin linebackers have kind of improved their stock uh significantly since the beginning of the season and then you mentioned werner uh you know, knock on wood, Russ, hopefully Nagy's not listening because I think the Senior Bowl is up to seven tight ends. They could invite one more. Uh, we're hoping it's the Missouri underclassmen, but I'm surprised. I agree with you. I'm surprised he's not at the Senior Bowl because uh, everything you said hit the nail on the head. He's not a top pick, but I could I could very easily see him coming off the board in the middle rounds. And uh, Lewerke, you know, I was trying to think of the point you made. So you made so many good points. I forgot about my point, which was, hey, Jim Harbaugh, say what you want about him, is still one of the best QB whisperers. And, and the fact that Patterson's worked with him uh, for the past couple yep. of years does does still hold some weight. And, and, and I remember Harbaugh, you know, before we found out Lewerke was even injured, and this goes to Lewerke's toughness because he was playing through several games. This is going back to last year now. I was watching a just random press conference uh, of Jim Harbaugh, and he was talking about Lewerke. And he's like, you know, I've been I've been studying Lewerke leading up to this game. And he's like, I don't know. He's like, I don't know if he's got an arm injury or what's going on. He just doesn't have the same kind of velocity uh, that I, w- I saw on previous games. And that just goes to show you how sharp – Harbaugh's I came to come out. I think he, he was playing through a poor shoulder labrum or, or something to that effect on his thrown shoulder. And a lot of people don't know that. And, you know, the, the, the way this kid battles through, I mean, he's, I think, you know, that offensive line at times was really horrendous and, and was getting him mugged back there. So, you know, he does have some toughness to him. And I, and I agree. The NFL PA Bowl will be a huge, huge, determining factor on how uh, teams view and judge his draft stock 
moving forward. So, uh, Russell Landy, Rick Caratel here. It's the Infectious Scouting Podcast. We've been doing this uh, dating back to the summer now, counting you down. It's officially the draft season here, December 11th, bowl game season starting up, Russ. And that means, uh, you know, we used to always have the underclassmen tracker. I'm used to seeing that. This morning I came across the players who are skipping bowl games tracker. That's a new one to me, but it has become a thing. And a lot of underclassmen now are not only declaring for the draft, but also uh, skipping their bowl games. And, and we kind of touched base on this at the end of last week's show in terms of the business of football and what it means to a player and Jalen Smith obviously being the most recent big-time example of that. Uh, before we get into the underclassmen, it seems like this is becoming a bigger and bigger trend where just, you know, in the past, uh, you started seeing like the big time first round guys sit out the bowl games. Now, if an underclassman declares, uh, there's a better chance, more likely than not, he's even going to sit out the bowl games. Your thoughts? Oh, there's no question. Um, and, and I totally get it. I mean, I've said it over and over, and I think we've talked about it, which is nobody, whether it's the team that they're playing for in college or the team that they're going to play in the NFL, none of them are going to be helping this player if in that game he suffers a blown-out knee and goes from – Jalen Smith is lucky. He went from a first to a second-round pick. There are guys that go from a first to a fifth or sixth because the injury is so catastrophic or they don't get drafted. Um, and, and, and none of these teams, like I've mentioned before, I've said it tons of times, and I really believe it, which is you haven't seen Notre Dame step up yet and give a check to Jalen Smith – for the, for the value of money he lost from going from being a top five pick to a second round pick. So because they don't care and you know, NFL teams aren't going to draft you based on what you should have been before you got hurt. I totally get it. And one of the other points I'll also throw in there and people may not notice, but something I had no idea until I actually went to work for the Browns. When I was at the Rams, I didn't even know this. And I was there for four years, but other than the teams that are going to the playoffs in college football, all the other teams that are going to bowl games, if you ask their coach behind the scenes, hey, are you upset that Joe Blow is, is not playing, he's an underclassman, he's leaving, I would bet you 99% would say we're totally fine with it because most coaches in college don't view that bowl game as a game that they're going to game plan and, and go all in on we have to win. Most of them view it as, hey, this is a way to get 30 extra practices. We get a month more of practice to prep for next season. And this is a chance. If that kid who declares early, say it's C.J. Henderson. Now, I don't know if he's if he said he's going to play or not, but say he said, I'm playing. Well, that means you have to play him and rep him as the starting corner all through those 30 practices. Whereas if he says, I'm out, and you can plug in the guy you think is going to be the starter for next year, or you have two guys that are competing for that job, you think, and let them rotate throughout that 30 days of practice, you get a head start on spring ball. And trust me, college coaches, especially the ones that are winning eight, nine, ten games, they know the job's fine. They're not getting fired if they get blown out in the bowl game. And this is an opportunity to start getting work towards next year. So I understand the public perception that these guys shouldn't skip. But I can promise you there are a lot of coaches in college that are not bothered by a player that declares early not participating because it really gives them a chance to use that month towards what it is supposed to be, well, what they view it as, which is we're getting an extra month of spring ball. 
And for them, it's huge. So I totally get it from the player side, from the college coaches side. And in truth, if you're an NFL executive and you are really holding it against the player for not participating in that, all I can say is you might want to get out of the Stone Ages. You might want to move forward, join us here in this century, and realize that people have to worry about themselves. No NFL team is ever going to care about their players as soon as they're off their team. So you can't expect a player to care about their college team and worry about making sure that college that gave them a scholarship is going to get one more game out of them. I just think it's unrealistic, the pressure that's put on for these kids to play in a game when they know they're not returning to school. Now, so true. So true. Great insight here from Russell Landy. And again, uh, you, you won't get a coach to say that publicly, but privately, uh, a thousand percent, that's exactly what they're thinking. So it just makes too much sense. And let's talk about some of these underclassmen now. Uh, we kind of teased it with Jordan Love. We heard uh, there was some rumors out there he might enter the transfer portal. He would be a good fit to jump in the, the Jalen Hurts shoes and the Oklahoma offense, but at the end of the day, ultimately, uh, he decides that, you know, he's going to declare early and, and enter the draft. Uh, and then, you know, some recent guys, too, real quickly, just Boston College, A.J. Dillon, the bruising running back there, and Hunter Bryant, the Washington tight end, uh, recently also declaring. We're up to uh, about 20 underclassmen here, Russ, that have already declared for the draft, and it's only December 11th. Uh, any early initial thoughts and impressions? Well, first thing, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I get Jordan Love. I mean, I understand um, the desire to get out there. And, he, and, I, and I think part of what played into this, this is just a guess on my part, is I think he's probably thinking, do I really want to go through uprooting? Because he can't play anymore at Utah State, but he could go somewhere else and play. So, do I want to uproot, go to another city, have to learn a new offense, acclimate to a new college where I'm probably only going to be there for four months, do all that, and hopefully with all that change, with a new team, with a new offensive coordinator, new coach, new scheme, new players around him, does he really think he's going to be better a year from now? No, I don't know if he's going to be. So I think he's saying, you know what? Why go through all that? Let me go down to the senior bowl. Let me show what I got. I'm confident in my talent. And if I end up being the first round of grade, and if I end up being a second or third, that's fine too, because I'm still going to be playing next year, getting coached and getting better, rather than going through another season with, well, after all these changes and hoping to be in the same spot I'm in a year from now. So I get it. I understand why he's doing it. Um, you know, I, it's funny. I think when this year started, I heard so many people after last year's draft say, wow, last year's draft of tight ends was so unbelievable. We had the two kids from Iowa. They were, they were just amazing. And, and, and well, next year, there's nobody. Well, you know what? With the juniors coming out and you include the venue, then you, you count the kid at Purdue, who's a senior. You count the Albert kid from Missouri who came out early. You count Hunter Bryant. You know what? This year's tight end class might be better than last year's tight end class. I mean, it's a Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you really look at it now. Is there maybe there's not a Hawkinson? Maybe there's not that rare special combination guy. Although I tend to think the kid from Missouri is that guy. But even if you don't think there's a guy like Hawkinson, just those three or four, including the kid from like Florida Atlantic and the kid from Vanderbilt, I mean, and even the kid, truthfully, the underrated kid from uh, Michigan, who I think is a unique kid that uh, number 84, yeah. I can't think of his name off the top of my head. Sean um, McKeon. 
McEwen. Yeah, McEwen, he's a good little player. I think he's got a little uh, little potential as a receiving tight end. But, I mean, when I look at Hunter Bryant and I look at the Albert kid from Missouri, I mean, those two, to me, are starting tight ends by their second year in the league. And I really, they're different. Don't get me wrong, they're different. But this Hunter Bryant, I mean, wow. When you watch Washington and you watch Easton throw, you can tell that Easton wants to shove the ball down this kid's throat every single for every single time he drops back. He just wants to find number one and just throw him the ball because this kid's special. I mean, he can make tough catches. He's athletic enough to pretty much line up anywhere. He can split way out as a wide out. He can be a slot guy. He can go in motion. He can be in line. I mean, he's not a big guy, so you're not going to want to line him up in line all the time. But he can line up anywhere. He's athletic. He can run after the catch. I didn't know much about him, but as soon as I started watching – Washington, this kid jumped off the film. I'm excited about him. Also, you mentioned the A.J. Dillon kid. To me, this kid's a very unique kid because he's really sort of like a bowling ball when you watch him run. I, mean, he's a, I don't know if he's really going to measure six feet or he's going to measure 5'11", but he's about 240 to 255, somewhere in that range. He is a punishing runner um, with better speed than I think you would expect. I, I, I don't know. I've heard a lot of reports saying he's going to run in the 4'4". I don't think he plays like a 4-4 four, four guy, even if he runs. I think he's a 4-5s a guy. But that's fine. He's a powerful kid. I think the big debate with this kid is just going to be, you know what, there are a lot of BC kids who have come out that have had about his production in terms of running the ball and also only catching about 20, 25 passes. He's caught 21 in his career. That's going to be the real debate. Andre Williams was a power dominant back up there. Yeah. Couldn't catch the ball, and that's why he washed out of the league. This kid is going to need to prove um, at, at the workouts, at the combine, at everything, that he can catch the ball. If he shows people, hey, I know I only had 21 catches, but I'm going to be Melvin Gordon, who had 13 catches at, uh, at Wisconsin. I'm going to show everybody that I can legitimately catch the ball. If he proves that to teams this spring, he's going to go higher than I think a lot of people are talking about right now because – he is a powerful runner. He breaks tackles. He punishes people. He's got better speed than a big kid usually does. And if he can contribute, and I mean contribute like be a regular part of the passing game, wow, then this kid's got something there that could be special. And truthfully, that, that, that is, and this is where I always talk about it. I know I brought it up before. This is what separates being a working in the media and covering the draft and being a team scout. Team scouts have gone into BC, and if they were smart, and knew that this kid might be coming out, they've watched him in practice and seen him probably catch 70 or 80 balls in practice. So they have a pretty good feel for how he catches the ball. But to those of us on the outside who can only see him in games, we really have no clue how he is because he's caught 21 balls in his whole career. So to us, it's literally a crapshoot. So he needs to prove to those executives of NFL teams who see that number of only 21 catches, regardless of what their scouts say about his hands, he needs to prove he can catch because there's something unique about him when he's got the ball in his hands. If he can show he can catch and can be a big part of the passing game, he could really, really move up draft boards. No, I agree. I think A.J. Dillon is a guy uh, I can see. I He's checked off all the boxes up to this point. And I, I don't see a 4 4 guy, but I think even if he runs between like 4 5 2 and 4 5 5, I could see him coming off the board in like the third or fourth round range. Yep, I think that's right. I think, and I honestly think third round is where, I, like I said, if he proves he can catch the ball, runs under a 4 6, I could see some teams saying, you know what? We, we've got our uh, one guy who we're going to use sort of as a do-it-all sort of scat back type, and we want that power guy. 
Now, I'm not saying this kid's Marlon Mack because Mack is not this, as thick. But if you look at the Colts, they like to have Mack. They also like to throw the ball to like Wilkins and Hines and use those guys. So if you're a team that doesn't have a power guy, but you have some smaller guys that are great receiving, wouldn't this guy be a great compliment? Get him in the third round, maybe the fourth round. Make him a part of that offense, part of that rushing and receiving attack. I mean, he could be, to me, a valuable player. So I'm interested to see him. I, I wish – this is where you wish those underclassmen could jump into an all-star game because it would be great to get to watch him for a week, practice, catch the ball, and do all those things. I think eventually they're going to find a way to include all underclassmen. They're going to have a game just for them. Um, but I think that's a, that's a little bit of a ways off for now. Well, I do think he was an early enrollee at Boston College, if I remember correctly. So if he earned his degree, there's a chance we could put he could try to get to Mobile. Because yeah, they they've only announced four running backs now. They've only got Keyshawn Vaughn from Vanderbilt, Michael Perrine from Florida, Zach Moss from Utah, Derek Anderson from TCU. I think they're holding out for guys like Dylan. You, you very well could be right because I mean this is a kid that to me. If I'm a team, I'm pushing to get him in there because, like we talked about, you haven't seen him catch the ball. Your scout may have who went to the school, but if you're an executive or if you're you're the offensive coordinator, you want to see this up close and personal. So you're going to want to get him into these games. It it rings true because, like, to your point, like, I'm I'm at South Carolina, and I hate I hate even to put this kid on the spot. I don't mean no disrespect. He's got a bright future ahead of him, but I'll give you an example. I'm at South Carolina. Rico Dowdell and Tavion Feaster, right? Week one. Uh, Feaster, obviously transferring from Clemson, big-time recruit. How's this thing going to work out? I'm I'm watching pregame warm-ups. They're doing pass-catching drills for about two minutes, Russ. Uh, they're going through the drills. I would say at least three, maybe four times within two minutes, Dowdell drops the ball. Now, you look at Feaster, he's plucking it out of the air, you know, uh, grabbing the ball, not one drop. Now, you know, these are two very even guys. Both of them got East-West Run game invites. Now, when I go to the war room, somebody asked me, who do you like more? Well, besides the fact that Feaster was more explosive, he came off the bench. He was like Vinnie Johnson for the Detroit Pistons back in the day, the microwave instant offense. But in the <laughs> pass catching drills, you know, he's catching everything and Dowdell's dropping every other ball. So it goes a long way. And you don't, you're right, you don't see that stuff uh, as, you know, even with all the access that the media has, the scouts get the on field credentials, we get to see that stuff up close. And, you know, sometimes you wonder, why. hey, why did this guy fall? What's going on? Well, you know, he's got stone hands. So uh, teams don't want to invest in that on a guy like Rico Dadow. Now, again, he's got, he's got an East-West Shrine game. And I don't want to talk bad about him. It's just an example. And I, I want to go back to your tight end point about how this class is shaping up. The one guy we, uh, we've mentioned him on previous shows, but uh, we didn't mention him on today's show. And, and one guy – Maybe that I'm most excited to see down in Mobile is the kid from Dayton. Uh, uh, what's his face? Um, Adam Troutman. So, oh, yeah, yeah. You had mentioned him early on the tight end. Yep. Yeah, he's yeah, a really yeah, freaking so, kid. I can't wait to see him either. And, and we've seen guys like uh, Adam Shaheen and um, uh, Dallas Goder and, you know, uh, kind of go up against some of that big-time talent. I got news for you. There's some people that think Troutman might be the top senior 
in terms of senior prospects. Uh, just to you know, round out that tight end class. To your point, I think now uh, there might not be a lot of guys on day one, but I think you can get a handful on day two and or, and day three. They're coming all, off the board early and often. Uh, the way I see it shaping up. But um, any other underclassmen that you care to weigh in on before we talk about last weekend's conference championship? Well, you know, the, the two interesting guys that to me I just want to mention are, firstly, the C.J. Henderson, who I mentioned earlier. I mean, this is a kid that, I mean, he, well, I didn't study him yet because I didn't know he was coming out, but I had seen Florida games during the year, and this kid, man-to-man coverage skills are pretty impressive. Um I, I'm very much looking forward to to getting to, to drop the drop the film and really watch more on him. And we've mentioned this kid a bunch, but the kid from Colorado, not the the uh, the unknown kid who came out, but Chano, um is a kid that I, I just I'm I'm so intrigued by. Um, I'm very excited to see him match up when we get to really when I get to sort of sit back and sort of watch one or two receivers back to back to back to back to really look at him and compare him. Because I honestly think he could end up challenging to be the first receiver taken. I know he may not run as fast as some of the kids from Alabama, but when I watch this kid's film, um, this kid to me may be the most polished kid in the country. Um, and he's athletic. He's big. Um, I'm excited about him. So that's one other underclassman. And I just want to mention two guys I, in addition, because we mentioned all the uh, all-star game guys, two guys at the senior bowl. I'm very excited to see uh, the Trey Adams kid. I know you and I talked about him earlier uh, in the year. He came back from the injury playing left tackle at Washington. And you mentioned Zach Bond as a kid who he and Chris Orr may have helped themselves more than a lot of other players this year. He's going to be down in Mobile. I can't wait to see him and Josh Uche, the kid from Michigan, see them both in the one-on-one pass rush drills. I think both Bond and Uche could make themselves a lot of money by dominating down there in Mobile. I could see both those guys skyrocketing. Bond potentially in the to the first round, and I think Uche yep. can put himself in that second or third round category. I, you took the words right out of my mouth. I think I think Bond could really be that guy that skyrockets leading up to April. And uh, you know, Trey Adams, we've mentioned the back issues. It's always a scary proposition, but at the end of the day, he came back from it and has put laid down some pretty impressive film. As has the Florida corner, you know, talk about C.J. Henderson. I mean, he's got the frame. I mean, you're talking about a Richard Sherman type of body frame here. Uh, big, big. Exactly. Guy. In, in a great change of direction, fluid, solid footwork. Uh, I think he's a, a, a number one corner at the next level. And, you know, call me crazy, Russ, and I hate to give him this kind of label. Shadows here, shadows. When I watch LaVisca Chenault from Colorado, shadows uh, of what his ceiling could be, I, I'm thinking DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, there's something there. I could see that. I don't know if he's got Hopkins' natural just got to go explosion. But other than that, I mean, this is really good. And there aren't many big kids that move with the fluidity and the flexibility. I mean, has all the athletic traits. He's so athletic for a big kid. I think he's gonna. I think some teams are gonna look at him and say he's either there's a DeAndre Hopkins or a little bit of Keenan Allen. Um, somewhere between those two guys is sort of where I view him, and I like him. I really think that this kid. I, and I think that what's gonna help him a lot because you and I have talked about is there's not much that he doesn't do that's fundamentally sound. And I think when the coaches get involved in the scouting process and they start watching the film and they say, "Man, this kid's ready to come in 
today. He understands route running. He understands how to use his big body to, to leverage a guy and create a little space for his hands to make a catch. I think teams are going to be really excited about that because the coaches are going to view this guy as not needing as much right off the bat to get him in the lineup. So, yeah, I, I see so much about this kid that's exciting. And you mentioned Keenan Allen. He's bigger than both Keenan Allen and Hopkins, and he moves, he moves Isn't around. Isn't that crazy? Like it, it, it is. It's unbelievable. And, yeah, there's a chance he could be the first wide receiver off the board. Now, you tuned in. Infectious Scouting Podcast. Rick Saratel, Russ Landy, breaking it down. We're for the people now to tune in each and every week as we're counting down to that 2020 NFL draft. And, Russ, we're getting closer now to the college football playoffs. We uh, kind of, you know, bantered around and, and threw some teams and, you know, kind of speculated ourselves throughout the year. So we've got the uh, final four here now. Uh, the top four teams are in. And it was an impressive uh, conference championship weekend. It was a lot of fun, a lot of, um, you know, action. And, you know, just thoughts and impressions before we get into your thoughts from the conference championship. We now have Ohio State versus Clemson, two of the hottest teams in college football. And then uh, LSU versus Oklahoma, which I think could be a mismatch. Your thoughts? You know, it, it, I'm really excited by both teams. Um, I think the Ohio State-Clemson one is actually going to be a very low-scoring game. Um, I think you talk about Clemson, that day, even though last year they lost what seemed like 37 first-round picks on defense, um, their defense this year, it, the first week or two you could see they were trying to figure out things and, and, get, and get sort of their positioning and understanding what everybody's responsibilities were. Each week they got better, and that is a dominant defense now. And Ohio State's defense doesn't get enough credit. They have some legit studs on that defense with Chase Young, obviously, and Okuda on the back end. I mean, that, that could be the first two defense players off the board in the draft. This game, I think, is going to be much lower scoring than people are thinking. I could see both teams. I could see at least one, if not both, under 24 points. I think it's going to be a great game. I agree with you. LSU, Oklahoma. I think Oklahoma, I mean, do they have a chance? 100%. But, I mean, think about it. They fell behind Baylor the first time. This past game, they won, and they won when Baylor's quarterback, I mean, they basically knocked them out, and they still had to battle into overtime. I just think LSU, and even though I don't know if Burrow is the be-all, end-all, that whole team, they have so much talent, whether it's the running back who just makes play after play, whether he's running the ball or catching pass out of the backfield, their receiving core with a lot of their young guys. Um, I just, when I look at that team and defensively, they just come from all angles. I just think Oklahoma, unless Jalen Hurts just has one of those magical games where he doesn't miss a throw and he runs for about 140 yards, I think it's going to be LSU in a roll. I agree with you. I think they'll win by at least two touchdowns. Ohio State Clemson, that's going to be a phenomenal game. And I have no idea who's going to win that. But if I were to bet, I'd go Clemson just because that's a better quarterback. And I'm always going to bet on the team with the better quarterback. Yeah, I think that's the toss-up game, and I, I think Clemson, they're both teams are hot. I think Clemson is just on a mission, and they're peaking when it's right. I feel like Dabo Sweeney has that underlining tune, that message there, hey, we we ran the table, we were undefeated national champions last year, they want to disrespect us with a three seed. They've been pummeling everybody and everyone since, the, since that first college football rankings came out. I mean, they've been winning about probably by like about 40 points a game. Uh, but it's going to be a great, great matchup. Uh, the LSU-Oklahoma 
that freshman quarter cornerback, Derek Stingley, I mean, we're going to talk about him just like the way you're talking about the Florida cornerback, CJ Henderson in a year or two. Yeah. Uh, Stingley versus CD lamb. That's the matchup. I'm intrigued to see when those two, two teams link up, but let's take a look back at some of those conference championships because uh, the big time quarterback did some big time things. Uh, Joe Burrow dropped uh, four touchdown buckets on Georgia, 350 yards, just moving and grooving. I mean, he's looking like Houdini back there in the, in the pocket and uh, Justin Herbert, while not as, not as flashy as Burrow, uh, still Oregon wins easily over, you know, let's be honest, what everybody believes is a really talented, deep Utah team. I mean, six guys going to the senior bowl. I think most all of them on the defensive side. So uh, Herbert and uh, Burrow getting the job done. You mentioned Lawrence. we got to wait another year for him. Hurts also leading his team to the uh, victory second time over Baylor. So two big-time wins over Baylor there. Uh, thoughts and impressions from the conference championship weekend? You know, Sonny, you didn't mention the one guy that, to me, stood out the most, even though it wasn't positive, was LSU manhandling Jake Fromm. I mean, you're talking yeah. about a guy who did not look comfortable at all. Um and even that first pass, he makes that beautiful first pass. I shouldn't say beautiful. He makes the first pass deep downfield. His guy drops it, and they all start screaming, oh, he had the touchdown. Yeah, it may have been dropped, but it wasn't a great pass. If his guy didn't have to slow down and try to body catch it at half speed, it may not have been an issue. If he had led him to where he could just catch it in stride, and then he missed on two or three other balls, or he had easy, easy big plays, and he just looked frustrated from the moment the game started. Um, I, I was disappointed in him. I got to say, even though they got their butt kicked and, and LSU was pretty much all over from all day, the Andrew Thomas at left tackle for Georgia, he really impressed me. I mean, there are just not many human beings that have feet like that. He looked, I mean, he was the feet of like a, a, a big receiver or, or, a, or a receiving tight end, and he's 220 pounds, six foot five. I mean, he, he's got nice, yeah. easy moving feet, flexible. He looked good, but uh, some of the other things I saw, I mean, I thought Burrow played well. I didn't think he was a rock star. Um, I thought a lot of it was just there. Their talent level was just, it was almost unbelievable how much they were just physically dominant. And also, there were times, and you saw it, I'm sure they showed the one clip during the game, where Burrow basically could have had a coffee and read the New York Times in the backfield there. He was getting six, seven seconds because George was rushing three guys. And I couldn't understand why they were doing that. I mean, I get that Burrow was really good at throwing the ball, but what, what you're giving him eight hours. I mean, you and I can barely throw the ball across a living room to complete it. But if you give me seven seconds in the backfield, I'll find somebody that's open and I'll find a way to get it to him. And I couldn't understand that. To me, when you have a quarterback like Burrow, I understand you don't want him to jump the pocket and scramble and beat you every play, but you have to make him uncomfortable in the pocket. And they just about never did. So I was, he did a good job. But I think part of his success was no one was in his face. He had very few players where he had to do anything with guys in his face. I thought LSU, it wasn't just, and I got to say, yeah, that the single was good, but hey, how about Grant Delpit? I mean, he was everywhere in that game. He was flying all over the field. That running back, uh, Solaire, I mean, oh my gosh, he is so much fun to watch. 
tremendous football player. Um, and you know that Utah, Oregon, I was really disappointed in Utah. It, it seemed like they came out, they didn't have that passion. And, and even though Herbert wasn't unbelievable, he made some throws in some key spots early to get them up. And then it sort of became a game where Utah was trying to catch up and it wasn't going to happen. Um, I think Herbert, like I've said, I'm, I have questions about whether he has the whole package, but physically he shows some things in that game that at least make you think, sort of like I mentioned with Patterson, sort of like I mentioned with Easton, there are certain physical tools that certain guys have that a lot of guys don't, and Herbert has them. He can do things that a lot of quarterbacks can't in terms of release the ball quick, throw it with zip, throw it with pace, and make all the throws with that pace and zip. Yeah, he showed a lot of good things in that game. Um I, it just, I mean, it was, it was a good weekend of, of championship game, but I was the most disappointed in Jake Fromm. I really expected him to come out, play well, and sort of put a stamp to say, I'm ready to jump. I wonder now if he says, you know what? I may stay for that final year. I may stay for another year. He started something like 38 games. Does he stay one more year? There's a lot of good quarterbacks this year. Maybe he stays for another year and sort of puts himself in position to be the number one overall pick to compete with the Lawrence kid next year if he has a big year. Well, you know, to that point, since you are a in-depth QB analysis, uh, you've got a whole in-depth formula that's kind of unique and one of a kind, and I've gotten a chance to see it. So I know that you have uh, really studied quarterbacks throughout the past. So I'm curious to know. We we haven't checked in on the Russ Landy big board quarterback big board in a while. It's been a few episodes. So in terms of draft eligible, let's take let's take the Clemson kid out of it. In terms of draft eligible, I think it's safe to say we still value Burrow over Herbert. But where does now Fromm fit into the equation? Where does Tua? With the injury, obviously we're going to find out what it all means with the injury, but. On December 11th, how do you rank these four? And if you want to throw Jordan Love and Jacob Eason into the mix, that's okay, too. How does the Russell Landy quarterback big board shape up? Yeah, you know, right now I sort of have a number one, um, and he's going to have a big medical because I don't know if he's going to pass any physicals or be eligible or even come out once he finds out the medical. I still think two is the best in the country that I've seen on film. Um the medical is a big concern, but if he checks up medically, I would still have him one. Um, he just impressed me. When I watched him on film, he was, and I think I've told you this, I did not expect to like him when I started watching the film. I thought I was going to see a guy that wasn't real good in terms of getting that ball out when he had to quickly. I thought he was a guy that sort of benefited from a great team around him. But the more film I watched, the more he really impressed me with his capability, his ability to get rid of the ball quick, his ability to not make bad decisions. Um, I like Burrow. He's my number two. Um, a lot of good traits about him. I think my biggest concern, I think you and I have discussed it, is, I, and this is where it would be great to see him in an all-star game is, I'm just, I don't know where that arm strength is. And, and I'm not one of those guys that says you have to have a cannon. I don't believe in that. But I want guys who at least can make all the throws. A guy who has uh, Mark Bolger or Andy Dalton, they didn't have cannons, but they had enough of an arm to make all the throws so your offense wasn't limited. And that's what I want to find out from Burrow. haven't seen him live, so I have a tough time with that. But I like a lot of things, especially the intangibles, his poise, his ability to not throw the ball into bad spots. That's something I don't think he gets enough credit for. Everybody talks about the big plays. This could barely ever throw the ball where a defender has a legit chance in making a play on it. And after him, I'm sort of up in the air. 
Charm really disappointed me. Um, I still like a lot of things he does above the shoulders mentally, but I was really disappointed with his accuracy. Um, Herbert physically is a freak. Um, not really sold on the consistency enough to say this kid's a first-round pick. I want to look at Easton. I really think that once I look at Easton, and, and I could be wrong, a lot of times I think guys are going to blow me away and they end up stinking to join up. But from what I've seen in the clips of watching Easton, when I watched Washington this year, I think he might be the guy that's not getting enough attention. I could, I, I think he could end up being on my board. He could end up challenging to be number one or two in the draft. And this kid with a ton of physical talent, um, I can't wait to really grind and, and watch film. And that's really what I'm starting on. I want to look at him starting tomorrow. Um, so I'll be able to hopefully speak somewhat intelligently or at least as intelligently as I'm capable of uh, when we do this podcast next week, because he, to me, is the sort of wild part of this whole draft. Because I could see him being a guy that some people say, oh, he's not good enough. He has to transfer this and that, and he's not even a first-round pick. And I could see some other people falling in love with the physical tools, seeing him work out, interview this kid. I could see some teams having him the number one quarterback in the draft. So there's going to be a big split on this kid. I can't wait to dive into the film and take a real close look at him starting tomorrow. Well, the quarterback board is going to be moving and shaking, and it's going to be interesting to see with that whole Tua injury. And, and well, nothing nothing with anything involving Rick is moving and shaking. I mean, come on now. We're, we're talking big, big time, Rick. Head, 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 head honcho, running the show. There, there ain't well, nobody who's moving and shaking like big Rick. They got a lot of dance clubs out there in Pasadena, so I think there might be some moving and shaking on the dance floors. But hey, uh, it sounds like we're going to have Russell Landy out there uh, for the NFL PA Collegiate Bowl on January 18th, 2020. If you didn't book your plans, make sure you do it. Of course, the NFL Draft Bible.com keeps banging me and bopping me over the head with all the news you need to know. We are the official scouting service of the NFL PA Bowl. We are used by all 32 NFL teams, and we are more connected than any NFL Draft media outlet. Get on board, NFL Draft Bible.com. Become a disciple today, preaching the good gospel since 2002. And, Russ, uh, you know, for those who missed out on the Sports Management Worldwide GM and Scouting course this past semester. How can people get signed up for the next semester? You know, um, we're I think we're just finished week five. Last night was our chat. Um, there's another chat tonight. Um, it, can, it starts up in January. It's an eight-week course. And what's really neat about it is you get a lot of different perspectives. You have me, sort of a lifelong guy on the road, scouting can give you sort of the input and sort of the, the foundation of, hey, what, what, are, what are organizations, how are they structured? Um, how do you scout? What are the basic things I got to look for when I'm looking at players? I'm not going to, you're not going to come out of this with a PhD and say, oh, I can scout any position. I'm an expert. But you're going to come out knowing the basics. You're going to understand how an organization is structured. And the biggest thing you're going to get is you're going to learn tips on how to separate yourself from everybody else that's trying to get these jobs in college football, arena league, or I should say indoor league, um, NFL, CFL. Um, I can give you those tips, the pointers. Um, and then on Wednesdays, because Tuesday night is the chat I host. Wednesday, Mark Dominic, um, former GM of the Bucks, um, been in the NFL over 20 years. Um, he hosts the chat with John Wooten, who's sort of a, a legend, um, one of the great players and, and front office guys that's been around this business for what seems like 150 years. Um, and really, the, the course sort of gives you a chance if you're a fan of football and you're saying, you know what, 
I want to work in football, but before I make that decision and I want to and, and say I'm leaving my job, I'm doing all this, take the class and it helps you really decide if you want to do this. I've had a lot of people go through it that are now working in the CFL, a few in the NFL, a handful in the media, a handful in college. But I've also had just as many people take it and after watching college film or, or pro film on all 22s and actually sitting down and grading film, they realize, you know what? I like being a fan. I, I don't enjoy the part of being a scout that it would take to work in football. And this isn't for me. And I think it helps people make that decision, figure out if this is the direction they want to go. Um, I've been doing it now for over a decade. I love teaching the class. I've made not only found some great people that have helped me in my company and gone on to great things, work in other places. I've made a lot of friends through this, lifelong friends. So you can start up in January, go to smww.com. Uh, check out all the courses. There's football GM and scouting. We have a football analytics course and we're planning to start this June, a football apprenticeship, which would be a one year program where you would work under me as an apprentice for a whole year, learning the real nitty gritty. You go, if you go through the course and you decide this is what I want to do, you can do that apprenticeship and man, you will come out of that ready to step into any team's front office and be a scouting assistant and be a rock star. Wow. That's unbelievable. I mean, people, uh, there's a lot of people that would love that opportunity. And I can tell you this, Russ, with the all-star circuit right around the corner and teams generally having a lot of turnover, especially in, in the month of May, to be able to mentor yep. and, and learn under your wing and be out there networking, you never know who you're going to meet. And they really want I'll be honest with you. I, I tell guys they want to get in this business. They're 40, 50 years old, and I'm 40 years old. You're, you know, hey, Russ, you're calling us older than Derek, brother. Hey, we're up there, right? But I tell guys, hey, no offense, go for your dreams and pursue the passion. But the NFL teams want young, up-and-coming guys. So uh, if you can cut your teeth, learn from Russ, go out to the All-Star Games, meet some NFL reps that, you know, in a couple months – in, in May are going to have a lot of turnover. You know, people don't realize these front offices, it's kind of like NFL free agency. There's scouts moving and, and, and transferring each and every year, just like the players do. And I think that's a huge, huge opportunity. So that's the first we're hearing about big, big news here with the sports management worldwide front. Yes. They haven't uh, thrown it out there and said, here's how you sign up and it's ready to go. But we're, we're in the final stages of getting this thing ready and uh, being ready to run with it. And I think it would be a lot of fun for people that if they've taken the course and they really say, this is the path I want to choose, I want to work in football. Because like I said, I'd say at least half the people that take the class realize this is a lot different than what I thought. And I can give you a perfect example as to why. When I lived in Jersey, a good friend of mine was a diehard football guy, and I'm sure, Rick, you've seen this a million times. And he was so excited that this is what I did for a living and I was working for the Alouette. So I invited him to come over and watch film with me on his day off. He came over. We started about 8.15. At about 11.30, we went to lunch and he said, yep, I'm done. He said, this is boring as all get out. He said, I have no interest at all in pursuing football any longer. He said, we spent three hours. And he said, you haven't even finished the first game. I'm like, yeah, well, there's six players to look at. That means we're watching each play 12 to 14 times. I said, that's how you scout. And he said, yep, not for me. So it's important, this course, because it helps you figure out if this really is something you would enjoy or, you know what, I'm better off being a fan. 
and being a diehard fan and loving it from that perspective. Well, we appreciate you giving back and helping the next generation, the next wave and future of up-and-coming NFL scouts. And Making me sound I old again. It. I'll tell you what, you're killing me. Hey, <laughs> I love working hands-on with all these guys. I love being here each and every week with you, Russell Reddy. Hey, we have, we even went over the hour mark. More than an hour of power. We're like, a, we're like at an hour and minutes here, so we're going to wrap everything up. Uh, we'll be back at it again next week to bring you all the latest draft buzz, talk shop, talk about the scouting industry. And, uh, hey, what's more fun than being right here? I almost feel like I'm inside your living room. Can you pour me a cold one? Till the next time, everybody. Once it gets into your stream, there's no vaccine. You've got the sickness, too. Thanks for listening to the Infectious Scouting Podcast.